Hey, thank you for joining me. I'm April Norris, the host of Of Course They Make Me Crazy. Okay, so I'm going to do something just a little bit different. I'm actually going to play a podcast that I was on a while back, uh, Justine Carino's podcast. Yeah, she was on my podcast last week. Anyway, she has a podcast called Thoughts from the Couch, and she talked to me about how to be resilient when it seems that everyone around you, their mental health is kind of going to hell in a handbasket. Um, and so I hope by listening to this, that as you hear what I went through, that it provides some positive perspective for you. Um, but pop in your headphones, adults only. Welcome to the Thoughts from the Couch podcast. I am your host, Justine Carino, licensed mental health counselor. I am here to lean into conversations about relationships, resilience, and recovery from life's challenges in order to support you on your journey to finding clarity in what you want for your future. We will talk about the things that no one else really wants to talk about in order to help you heal from past wounds and create a life that truly fulfills you. Please note, this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Welcome to another episode from the Thoughts from the Couch podcast. My guest today is April Norris, the creator and host of the podcast, Of Course, They Make Me Crazy. April created her podcast for people who live with or love someone with a mental illness. She's here to share her personal story of being raised by a mother who struggled with bipolar disorder and addiction. Let me tell you, I love hearing people's stories. It's why I got into this career in the first place as a therapist. Everyone has a story. There are reasons why people do what they do, say what they say, and April is brave enough to unpack her story with us in this episode. So April, I am really honored that you're willing to talk with me today about how you were personally impacted by mental illness in your own family. Oh, well, thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. Let's start off by having you talk a little bit about yourself and your career and your podcast. So I used to, for more than 12 years, I was in the television news business. I started off as a rookie reporter, and then I got my own show. I was a morning news anchor, and I did some hits. I used to do hits for Fox News and CNN. And I just got burned out. And so I decided one day that I wasn't going to do that anymore. And I opened a fitness studio and uh, moved to Denver and did a whole 360 on the career. And, you know, I started to miss creating, you know, and, and, um, and doing things. And everything I think, Justine, that I do is surrounded around my mother, who you explained, you know, who you introduced. Her name uh, was Joni. And uh, the reason I think I do everything surrounding just her um, is not, I mean, I love her so much and I honor her, but, um, you know, I opened up the fitness studio because fitness is how I got through most of my days when living with a mom with bipolar. Okay. So if I didn't want to end up like her, which was taking a lot of pills, <laughs> then I was, I had to get up and I had to get moving. Okay. So like, uh, she never really, she never graduated high school. 
Um, and so I made sure that I put myself through college. I made sure that it's, it's, wow. it's funny that I admire her and honor her so much, but tell you a little funny story and it's kind of cringy, but uh, I used to do pageants and uh, someone asked me, who is your role model? And I was like, I don't think I really have a role model. I mean, I love my mom. I think she's amazing, but I can tell you, I don't want to be anything like her. <laughs> and it was like, well, needless to say, I did not win that pageant. Okay. <laughs> uh, but what I mean by that is that, you know, I just, um, she did have so much, much strength until uh, she got sick. And so I think, you know, uh, my whole driving factor in life has been mom didn't have an education. I need to make sure I have an education. You know, she didn't really have a career. I need to make sure I have a career career. Um, I got to make sure she, you know, she never got off the couch and moved her body. I have to make sure I move my body to change my mind. Um, so it's always been something that surrounds, you know, growing up with her really. So does that make sense? Complete sense. And you're you're speaking my language because I try to explain this to so many of my clients and I try to describe how the people that raised us, how much they influence who we are. And we don't often see it ourselves. And you're one of the lucky ones that's able to really reflect on this and get your answers and get an understanding of why your life decisions are reflected um, and reflective of how you were raised. And sometimes we go against what we saw. And sometimes we try to repeat what we saw. And it sounds like you have a conscious awareness of how much your mom's life influenced who you are today. Yeah, she she definitely did. You know, and on a positive note, there's days where, of course, I'm not feeling my spunky, you know, a uh, happy self. Um, or if I'm just not driven that day, or if I feel like, you know, the world is against me. So, you know, you asked me a little bit about my career. So, you know, I, I, I took you there. And so I started the podcast. Of course, they made me crazy because uh, I feel like I have a story to tell living with her, right? And then it allows me to get my creative um, elements that I'd love to do so much, which is which is hearing stories, putting stories together, but it all circles around the woman that I love so much. Um, and so my mom had me when she was 15, 15 and a half. Wow. And she was, yeah, very young. And she had me at a time when her family was going through a crisis. And so I'm going to try to keep this as PG as I can for your podcast. <laughs> I love, I want to hear it all. <laughs> okay. So she had a father who, uh, she, she, my mom had grew up with a family of six. Okay. Well, five siblings and then, the, you know, her parents, of course. So my grandfather, um, they lived in a small town in Clyde, Ohio, and he owned a gas station. And so, and he was also the deacon at a church. Well, he was also an alcoholic. And he was gay. And this is back in the 70s when, you know, that was when being gay was not something that you could be proud of. Right. So um, or accepted, really, in the community, especially if you have six kids and a wife. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> he took it much farther. So he would take the family 
to uh, nudist beaches for vacations. And my grandmother and my mom and my aunt, they were not too keen on that. You know, they did not love it. But of course, my uncles were like, yeah, you know. Um, So they all had their separate areas. So no one would, you know, hang out. It wasn't the family hanging out naked together, but (laughs) they they all went to their their own ways. I I love this family already. (laughs) So um, my grandfather found his lover, Jack, while he was at this one particular um, nudist beach, nudist resort that he took the family to. And so he went back, of course, and he couldn't hide it anymore. And he broke the news to my grandma. And that was, of course, devastating to her because she thought, how in the hell am I going to raise six kids? And you're leaving me. You know, she was a stay at home. Uh, And on top of it, we live in a small town. And everybody wants to know, you can't hide something like that, you know, in a small town. So what we did is she packed up the kids and she moved to Missouri. Um, They were living in Ohio at the time. Well, my mother was dating my biological father and she decided she did not want to go. So she stayed in Ohio. I don't know where, but she, I know that she was working at truck stops and cleaning, you know, bathrooms and, you know, doing a lot to, to, to take care of herself. She dropped out of school. He was abusive. How old was she at this time? She was probably 15 and a half. So probably not of legal age, maybe to have a job at that time, or maybe just legally, or maybe she fibbed. I have no idea, but that's what she did. And uh, so she was left alone to have me. And she was living with an abusive boyfriend. And he allegedly was part of the Hells Angels back in the 70s. You know, this was that was like that motorcycle gang. They were much different than they are now, where I think now they're based, you know, with with businessmen and lawyers and things of that sort. Back in the day, they were running drugs for local police departments and things of that sort. So she was in a pretty bad situation. She had a broken mom who was totally devastated, moved away because she couldn't deal with life. And she had, you know, a father who left the family uh, and is a nudist and and decided to move to Florida with his lover. Okay, so um, she was able, though, Justine, by the grace of God, somehow, you know, while getting the shit kicked out of her, she was able to go to work. She was able to have me um, and she was able to put food on the table. And she was able to get herself out of that situation. And I think to myself, some days, you know, April, you have it so much better than your mom had it. And if she can have two kids, because she then shortly after that had my brother. So my little brother. So I think she must have had my little brother about mm, maybe a year. Uh, We're about a year apart. And same biological father. And that was, you know, not a situation that she really wanted. And uh, and I thought, I think to myself, if she can do this and she can, she got us out of that situation, I can get my ass up out of bed and I can go make something happen. You know? Yes. I am blown away by the level of resiliency 
um, and grit that your mom had at that age. I'm thinking 15-year-old girl, like what was I doing at 15? Not raising kids, not working. I mean, she pulled it together for you guys. Oh, I know. I mean, I know what I was doing at 15. I was thinking, okay, is this the perfect shade of blue eyeshadow to wear? Because, (laughs) you know, I need to look cute. Different problems. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so when I was 15, actually, I know what I was doing. I was getting all of my boyfriends away from my mother, who they thought was totally hot because she was, (laughs) because she was only 15 years older, you know, than us. But not that she, she had, you know, they just like to come over, you know, and, and, and check her out. And they'd always be like, Oh, your mom's so hot, April. But, um, so, <laughs> you had <a> hot mom. <laughs> but my grandma ended up coming back and she left her other kids in Missouri and she came back and, um, we moved in with her and, you know, it was a constant battle. I remember as a little girl, my biological father kicking down the door and he was not very big. He was not very big. He's a short little guy and he's, he was skinny, but, um, you know, I guess when you get drugs in you and you have alcohol, you, you know, have this rage. And I remember jumping on his back, pulling his ponytail saying, get off my mom. You know, I mean, and he was just wailing on her. And so we would hide from him. Right. But, and he punched her in the mouth and knocked out her front teeth. So for a while, she didn't have front wow. teeth. And so she never really had the courage to really go out and get a good job because she never had the money to fix herself. During all of this, she had this doctor who delivered me. And he essentially, I like to call him Dr. Feelgood because he gave her every freaking prescription that you can think of. And so this was back in the day, you know, as I'm older now, and I'm, you know, former reporter, and I kind of, you know, I like to read about things, of course. This was back in the day when pharmacy companies were coming into really small towns, and just giving these doctors, all these meds, especially in small towns in the Midwest, and well, you know, on the East, um, where they were maybe very educated, you know, and there was, it was like, you know, factory towns and things of that sort. And uh, she was a product of that. He, you know, if she wanted uppers, he gave her uppers. If she wanted downers, she got downers, you know, and as a young mom trying to work and uh, escape, who doesn't want uppers and downers for God's sakes? You know, she's needs, energy to to work and come home to two kids. And then she needs to sleep so she can do it all over again in the morning. Um, And, but it was more than that. The cycle began. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? And so, I mean, she just had it left and right and around the corner. And so grandma came back, we moved in with her. Grandma was going to the same doctor you know, so those two were swapping out pills, you know, they were at least when I was an adult. So I can only imagine they were doing the same thing when I was, you know, when we were kiddos. Um, and as a little girl, I mean, I mean, even a teenager, I'd be like, God, I wish he would just die. I wish he would just die. Um, because we would, so the doctor, yeah, I wanted him dead. You know, even as a little girl. Yeah. I, mean, I don't blame you. I realized what was going on. 
you know, just, just as a little girl. You had such good insight. Yeah. I mean, I remember my mom and grandma would get all dolled up to go see him. You know, they had to put on their makeup and their hair and it was like an outing to go see this doctor. And uh, so somehow or another, I'm sure my grandma helped her. My mom was able to fix some of her mouth. And she got this job at this place called Sawmill Creek Resort in Sandusky, Ohio. And Sandusky is put on the map because of Cedar Point, the amusement park. And uh, Sawmill's still there to this day. And so she became a cocktail waitress. She started off in banquet and she would cover her mouth a lot. And the reason she started off as a banquet waitress is because she didn't have to smile and talk to people. You basically, you lay the plates down. They ask for more, you nod and you go and get it, right? So she got more money through banquet waitressing and then she got her teeth fixed. And then she got her group back. And I want to stop you real quick. Yeah. So how old were you when that incident happened with your dad hitting her, knocking out her teeth? So I think I was, so when my stepfather came into the picture who was a god sent to us. Um, I was seven at that time. So I'm thinking that I was probably about five or six, maybe even four and a half. Okay. It's so um, crazy that you witnessed that type of abuse, that level of abuse at such a young age. That was probably so traumatic for you. And so traumatic for your mother to go through. I'm just taken back by this part of the story. You know, I can't help but think about what that must have been like for you and your brother. And were your parents together after that? So, you know, I think when they were actually together together, I think I was so young that I don't remember. What I remember is us running from him, meaning my parents, my biological father, Um, and my mother. I don't ever really remember them together, together. Uh, So yeah, I just, that doesn't ring a bell to me. The only time they were together is for whatever reason. So after she met my stepfather and she's uh, stayed married to him um, throughout her life, she, she passed away. It'll be four years uh, this, this summer in June, or is it five? I meant to look that number up (laughs) before I got on this podcast, but um, it still feels like just two years, a year ago, does not feel that she's been gone that long. Um, But so she stayed with my biological, excuse me, my stepfather. And, um, but in between, she did have a boyfriend and he was much taller. And I remember him actually, so we would go stay at my biological grandma's house. And I remember as a little girl, I remember thinking, grandma, why would you let your son treat my mom like that? You know, I I remember thinking that. And uh, she just didn't have any control over him, of course. Yeah. And you were trying to make sense of everything. Yeah. Even, you know, even as a little girl, you know, you'll probably know this more than I do, Justine, but, you know, as, as the oldest child, I, you know, I feel like we have more of a, an awareness about ourselves and about our situations, especially when you're the oldest child and you have to look out after your sibling, you know? Um, so. so what happened after she moved up to cocktail waitress? 
So when she moved up to the cocktail waitress, you know, my mom is, was beautiful. She was absolutely beautiful. And she was like this little spitfire. She got her groove back. Nobody was going to tell her nothing. And then that is where she met my stepfather, who was the manager. And he's so funny because he said, actually, when I first met your mom, I was a little scared of her. <laughs> and I Come on. That's awesome. <laughs> I was like, why? And he said, because she was the boss, you know, and it was so cool. She was tough. Yeah. To see how the turnaround went. And then, you know, what, you know, when I'm having this conversation with, with my dad, well, who I call my dad is my stepdad. Um, I refer to him as my dad and then my biological dad is, um, but um, yeah, he said, I was nervous of your, of your mom because she, she bossed everybody around. She was the cutest little thing in town and she knew it. <laughs> so she got her. That's awesome. Yeah. She got her energy back. She got her courage. Um, she got just life back for a short time. And I say for a short time because I grew up with a, uh, what I thought was a healthy, um, fun, hardworking mom. She'd go to work all day. She'd come home at night. She'd play with us kids. We were always taken to the beach, you know, before my stepfather came into the picture, we were known as the three musketeers. Like, you know, no one was going to stop us. And, uh, and then I about at the time I was 15 years old, um, how old are you when you're a freshman in high school? Like 15, 16, right? Yeah, maybe a freshman, like 14-ish, 14, 15. Okay, so I was living in New Jersey and I was a freshman and I had this boyfriend um, and she loved him so much and he loved her. And so he would pick me, you know, he would drive me home from school. And I remember one day I came home and my grandmother was there, my dad's mom. And I said, oh, Grandma Mary, what are you doing here? And she said, I have to tell you something. Um, your mom is in the hospital and she's going to be there for a very long time. And I said, the hospital? What happened? You know? Right. Because you assume something physical happened. Of course. Because even though as a little girl, I knew something wasn't right and I knew she was taking pills. Um, it just became the norm to me after a while. And so by the time I was 15... I didn't think there was anything wrong with my mom, right? Like it just, I didn't know any different. I mean, I always knew there was something off, but I didn't think, I, I guess maybe I just didn't even think about it. I was too busy being a teenager, I guess. And so she went and she was hospitalized. Um, and I guess it was for taking too much medication. She was having wow. panic attacks. and. This, so she had my little sister at the time. So there's three of us. There's me, my little brother, who's a year. And then uh, she had my little sister with my stepfather. And I was 10 when uh, she was born. So I think what was happening is mom was not being able to really care, you know, for my little sister while we were at school. I mean, she was totally spoiled. I mean, you know, but I, I guess maybe something was happening that she was keeping a secret. Mom was keeping a secret. And my stepfather was able to figure it out. And my mom, 
you know, being diagnosed with bipolar depression, fibromyalgia, um, you name it. She was diagnosed with it. Um, I'm curious when you came home that day and your grandma was there and she said, you know, mom's at the hospital, you kind of knew something was always up, but you didn't know bipolar at the time. That's not when you learned of the diagnosis. That's not yet when I learned of the diagnosis. Mm. I don't think we had one at that point. So I was, yeah, about 14, 15. So she still had not been diagnosed. We just know that she was acting off the chain in a way. Okay. So I guess what she was doing for a while is having these panic attacks. That was my point. See, when you're 40 something years old, you tend to forget. (laughs) Um, So she was having these panic attacks and um, she was hiding them. So I guess what she was doing is she was going like into the basement and she would just shake and shake and shake and she wouldn't be able to, you know, pull herself out of it. And I think maybe my dad came home, um, you know, from work one day and maybe that was happening. And I don't know if Amanda was, that's my little sister, if she was in school at the time or what, but um, he always knew she was taking too much medication. It was always an argument, uh, an argument in the house, you know, God damn it, Joni, da, 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 da. I mean, there, there came a point in time where we had to lock her medication up and that woman was like a bear getting into garbage that has been strapped down, you know, and padlocked. I mean, she could get, if she needed it, she wanted it, she could get that thing open. She was addicted. She needed it. Totally. And, um, and then she was never a drinker, but sometimes if she drank, you know, mixing it with those pills, that became like a huge thing. Um, so they put her in this hospital and I was like, well, can I go see her? Like what in the hell? You know, this was like a bomb that was dropped on me. So she's like, well, you know, I, yeah, we, we, you got you and you and Bill, that was my boyfriend at the time. You can go see her tomorrow. And my dad, I don't think came home that night. I think he was probably not staying with her, but it was, you know, my mom calls it the funny farm. So we showed up, Bill and I show up and uh, my little brother didn't come with us. He stayed at his friend's house. I think my grandma had my brother staying at his friend's house. And then she was at home for my little sister. And then I could take care of myself. You know, I was like 15 or whatever. And so we show up and she's like, your dad put me in a goddamn funny farm. Look at this, you know, and she's like, just irate. And she was right. It was a funny farm in the sense of there was a guy Outside that greeted us, he was eating cigarette butts like they were potato chips. There was another guy on the phone. You know, remember back in the day they had pay phones, okay? So there was this other guy on a pay phone. He wasn't talking to anybody. And my mom's like, you see that son of a bitch? He never gets off the phone. Do you know who he's talking to? He's not talking to anybody. I can't call you kids because he's always on the phone. <laughs> she was like... <laughs> What am I doing here? And there was this lady across the room and she had high pigtails. I mean, she was probably a 60 years old. She had like, you know, little girls, they wear their, those high pigtails and, you know, they, they bop out. And she was staring at me, my mom and my boyfriend across the room. And she was like swaying back and forth, hugging herself like a little girl. And she had on a, like a little girl nighty, but I mean, long to the floor. Remember those you know, little girl, when we were little girls, we would wear those long nightgowns with a little frill 
lilies and the flowers and stuff. So that's what she was wearing. But she had lipstick <laughs> on, which she tried on her lips. Like the Joker? Up by her nose. It was out by her cheeks. You know, it was down on her chin. And she comes running over. And she's like, oh, Joni, who is this beautiful girl? And my mom was like, do you see what I mean? Hey, I'll be at the funny farm. And I was like, oh, my heart just sank. And she, um, it's interesting because my mom could be the most forgiving person. And, you know, she was able to forgive my grandfather for, you know, doing what he did. And she was able to forgive my grandma. But I tell you, she held that grudge on my stepfather for years for putting her in there, you know, and you put me in and how dare you? And what are you going to do? Are you going to put me in there again? You know, and this poor guy, he just loved her like every inch and he just wanted her to get better. He thought that's what was best for her. He thought that's what was best for her. And, you know, Justine, it probably was what was best for her. Exactly. She never really got, she, so she would get better and then she would get worse and then she'd get better. And so um, we finally kind of got her under control when the Dr. Feelgood died. He finally died when I was in college. Finally died. You wish him dead. Isn't that sad? That's kind of sick, isn't it? <laughs> Wait, no, we all do that. <laughs> There's some people in our lives are like, it, life would be better if you did not exist. Life would be so much better for some reason if you were not here. You were angry. You were so angry at this man. Uh, I was so angry at him. And uh, I just knew it was never going to get better if he was in the picture. So... She did go to other doctors because my stepfather was insistent on it, thankfully. And she did go. But the thing is, is she would never let him go in with her um, until finally, you know, after Dr. Feelgood died, she did let him go. Um, but she was the best liar. And so she would just, you know, when he wasn't going in there with her, she was lying through her teeth you know, talking to her doctor. Right. So he finally said, now, damn it, Joni, I want to know exactly what you're saying to these doctors. I need to know what they're saying back to you, because if I don't, I can't help you. And it was a constant battle. And as you know, with bipolar, you know, it's, I know some of you out there, if you're listening, you, you might be on medications and you can, and you can take the medication and you feel fine and you can take it respectfully. And when you're supposed to, that was not the case for her. She grew up an addict. She stayed that way. So there were good days and there were very bad days. And when it was bad, it was bad. And then she had, so when my grandmother retired, she, she worked um, in a factory for years in Sandusky and she finally retired. Uh, it was the two of them sitting on the couch, swapping pills, you know, and it just became where we couldn't control anything anymore. And my little sister, you know, was in high school and she was totally opposite of um, my little brother and I, and meaning, uh, how do I say this? Uh, my little brother and I were, I guess, we were friends with everybody. Um, you know, I was on homecoming court and, you know, I was the new girl every year and I was able to hold my own because we did move around every year. 
But Amanda, she became, and she'll, she's, you know, yeah, and you, if you listen to my podcast, Amanda's on there. She was, I guess, like she hung out the, the burnouts is what she could call them. And uh, so she would do swapping, you know, she would take mom's pills. Um, if mom wanted something else, wanted to try something else, then Mandy would go find that. And it just became an, an icky, icky situation. And so the house lived in turmoil for years, for years. Were you still living at home at the time that was going on? I wasn't. So, hell, I moved out the day I graduated. Like, I graduated high school, and I was like, peace out, people. Uh, You know, and I didn't go to college right away. Uh, You know, I always was one. I mean, we grew up in a, you know, in a suburban family home, um, but we were never wealthy, you know, but we were just, you know, your typical family. So I had to, you know, if I wanted to go to college, I had to pay for college. So right after I graduated, I moved and got a job and I got my car and, you know, and, uh, and I worked for a little bit and then I put myself through college. Good for you. And it sounds like you took on some of those independent traits that your mom had. Yeah. And, and this is the thing. So I grew up with a young, vibrant, hardworking mom um, who, you know, started to, to tra- trail off at 15. Yes. But she could, she'd come back up. She would come back up. Um, but then she'd go down again where Amanda grew up with a mom who was always sick. She never got off the couch. So, you know, there was a world, you know, so I think what I did is I grew up, don't get me wrong, when we talk about being resilient and things of that sort, I had my breakdowns. Um, Honestly, Justine, I grew up loving her so much, but hating her at the same time. I can imagine. And I don't hate her. I just hate what she did, you know, like, because I didn't understand it. And so, you know, for people that listen are listening to this or, you know, who do listen to podcasts about mental health and things of that sort, it's okay. And and maybe you can back me up on this or maybe you have a different insight on this. But my saying is it's okay to be pissed off at them. You know, I mean, I grew up just really not understanding her. My whole thing always was, mom. You came from nothing. You came from, I mean, like cleaning toilets to a man that abused you to us finally getting on our feet to meeting an amazing man that took on your two kids, put an amazing house over our head, you know, fed us uh, because there was a day that we only had one potato to eat between the three of us, you know, when we were younger and we have a beautiful house. Avon Lake, Ohio, which is, you know, a beautiful suburb right outside of Cleveland. You have a car, mom. George has a car. Your kids are going to college. Yeah, your youngest is a little screwed up. But, you know, let's let's look at some of the positives here. Right. Like I just was always like, like, what is wrong with you, lady? You that is in the past. Let's only look for forward. But she couldn't. She just couldn't do it. And I know everything that happened to her in the past made her sicker than what she probably was originally going to be. Right. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, you know, 
your mom went through so much and I'm probably, I'm curious and you may or may not know this, if there was a history of mental illness in the line, in her family line. Um, and if there was, she would have this predisposition to mental illness, whether it be anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, but her life circumstances sound like it brought out her condition at a certain point in time. Um, and that I see it happen all the time. And I often ask clients like, why are these symptoms happening now? Like why now? What triggered this type of mood reaction um, in you? And so a lot of it has to do with genetics. A lot of it has to do with the life circumstances. And then you throw in pills, right, and addiction. And sometimes, you know, you can't really diagnose bipolar until someone's completely sober. Because someone that's addicted to some kind of pill or substance can really display symptoms of depression or mania or whatever because of their substance. So, you know, who knows what your mom's life would have been like if she didn't have that childhood. Um, But somewhere along the line, she may have had this predisposition and her life circumstances triggered it to come out at a certain point in her life. And also, we usually see bipolar disorder, the symptoms come out probably young adulthood, mid-20s. So 15 probably wasn't the time it was going to happen yet. It makes sense that it started to come out later in life for her. And it's hard to diagnose because there's a lot of factors that go into it. Yeah, it was really hard. I mean, it took a long time. Honestly, I think she might have been near 50 by the time we got a final diagnosis on that. Yeah. Which is crazy. Near 50, maybe maybe late 40s. I'll probably say, let's say late 40s. Um, when we finally got that diagnosis, but, um, yeah, I just, you know, for anybody living through it now, it does seem like it's never going to, you know, it just, you just have to be patient with yourself and with them and just know that sometimes they just can't help it. <laughs> and I, I love how you said, um, you don't hate her. You hate the, you hated the things <laughs> she did. I love that distinction. That's powerful because you loved yeah. your mom, but you did not love the choices she was making. And you probably had a lot of sadness for what she was going through. And you probably didn't understand it most of the time. And I didn't because I honestly don't think she did, you know? So, right. um, and she was always so nice and giving. Like, I remember she'd go to, you know, take um, food to people, you know, if they were hungry and, uh, you know, she was very giving, very giving woman, but towards the end she did, (laughs) she got spicy and mean and almost became like verbally abusive. Um, she will know that she did not almost, she, she did. I mean, she was, but she would just, um, just give my stepfather. I mean, the, the poor guy did not have rest at all. You know, he, he would get at least 30 calls from her a day. Um, with some kind of traumatic situation going on. And then, you know, there was a time where she was, uh, she didn't work after a while, of course, this, you know, she couldn't sustain work. So she stopped working. And then she, the, the credit card people, you know, this was back in the day when they would call you on the phone and be like, hey, you can apply for, you know, a card for such and such percentage rate. And you don't even, and she'd be like, yeah. And, you know, and, you know, Justine, bipolar people sometimes, you know, when they're, they're on their highs, she would go shopping and shopping and shopping. And I mean, like crazy amounts of shopping. And then she would, you know, hide it. And then she would hide the bills. 
And like, you know, then the creditors started to call and it just became like that poor guy just went through, went through so much, especially her meltdowns and things of that sort. And so my whole thing is, you know, by listening to this story is that if you are in a situation like that, God, get out and do something that makes you happy. You know, uh, I had a great, amazing group of girlfriends. And so I would get so pissed and I'd go out, you know, for Sunday brunch with them. And I'd be like, can you believe what she's doing now? And they would just start to laugh because some of the stuff was really funny (laughs) as to what she was doing. And then I would start to laugh. And then I was like, kind of okay with it, you know? Um, And I think that my, my stepfather didn't do that enough. I think that he came home to her because he didn't want her to be lonely because she would, you know, she would say, I'm lonely. I have no friends. I can't, you know, well, she had friends. She just shut them out because she didn't want to socialize. She was depressed. She was became for one woman that was the life of the party as a cocktail waitress became almost recluse at some point, you know, and I just think that he just did not enjoy himself enough and got wrapped up. And we all did sometimes in the, in the, the darkness that they can, you know, it's like their, their sadness steals your energy. And if you don't get out of there and go do something good for yourself, because they're going to be sad if you're there or not. Right. And I'm not saying, of course, leave them if they're, suicidal if you think they're going to hurt themselves but i'm saying if they're just sad and pouting and and having an episode go do something for yourself right i mean why not pull yourself out of there don't let them steal your happiness it's like you know i like to say don't let someone else's crazy take you down and i don't want to you know and i don't mean to be um disrespectful in that way um but that's just kind of what I've lived with. And that's what I've come up with in my life to cope um, is to, to know that she isn't intentional in what she does. She's just addicted and, and sick and, um, and loves us and we love her. It's just not the situation that we all hoped for. Right. And it sounds like you had a strong support system with your girlfriend, right? Yeah. Um, and that probably helped you so much. And you also found some humor. Like we have to laugh at some of these things sometimes. Humor is a great coping skill. Oh yeah. Yeah. She was, she was funny. She, I mean, she really was. So, um, and she and my grandma together, they could be funny. You know, they, they did some silly things. They were always getting in trouble, but that wasn't so funny. But now that I look back at it and, you know, and if you listen to the podcast, of course, they make me crazy. You'll understand what I mean by funny. <laughs> Not appropriately funny, but, <laughs> but funny. So, um, yeah, but she, she just, you know, she, uh, my grandmother passed away and they were best friends and she couldn't live without her mom anymore. So she took too many pills one night. We don't know if it was intentional or not. Um, you know, my dad holds guilt because he was out of town that night and he he shouldn't. But um, he had to referee. He was working. And, um, and we all knew that that's where she wanted to be. She wanted to be with her mom. So I have peace knowing that she's at peace. 
Yeah. And I'm so sorry to hear that, April. Yeah. What a woman she was. You know, she went through so much in her childhood and then her teen years, becoming a mom so young, really making it, you know, setting up a life for her kids better than the life she was able to do or have for herself at the time. She made it through and then she gets diagnosed with a mental illness and battled that for years. And, you know, it impacts everyone. But what a story that you and your siblings can tell of A, your mother's resilience and B, your resilience as her children and loving someone with a mental illness. Yeah, you just got to push through it and, you know, keep your strength and just don't let their sadness steal your, you know, any little bit of energy you do have. (laughs) Your positive energy, I should say. It sounds like it was probably exhausting. Yeah, it's exhausting. Yeah, it's mentally exhausting. And, you know, but we did grow. She was, I I remember her, like, you know, for Valentine's Day, and she'd, um, you know, make sure that all of our, she'd put these cookies in tissue paper and made sure the cookies look perfect for us to take you know, to school. And when we weren't, um, we couldn't afford to get a Christmas tree. We got, you know, a little one and we bake cookies and, you know, decorate the tree with cookies and popcorn so we could eat it and still have decorations on the tree. And, you know, she was just very a creative, um, beautiful soul until, until, you know, her final days. So It sounds like she was a really good mom. She was a fantastic mother. Yeah, I I wouldn't wish for any other mother. Would I, I do sometimes wish we could have happier family uh, times. Yes, but I would never trade her for, you know, a million years. So she loved you guys and she took care of you guys and you sharing those little things that she did. She cared so much. Um, And unfortunately, I'm sure her addiction and illness got in the way of you feeling that love at times, but it was always there and you guys felt it. I'm curious, um, what part of your mother's mental illness do you think impacted you the most? Oh, gosh, that's so hard to answer. I think the mental illness that impacted me the most was taking my spunky, lively, beautiful, fun... um, outgoing mom and making her a zombie mm, with the medication she needed. Yeah. I mean, she was so beautiful and she would make sure that her hair was done and her makeup was on and da da da. And, you know, and every, even if she wasn't going anywhere, she was still just, you know, she'd get up and, and get her face on is what she called it. I got to put my face on. And, um, and then, you know, came a time where she didn't shower for days, you know, not days, She wouldn't shower for weeks. She could not take care of herself. She couldn't function. No. She was so depressed. And I would drive, you know, like I was living in Memphis, Tennessee at one point. This was, I was in my thirties. I drove home because she was feeling depressed and she said, I'm so lonely. So I got my dog. I got in my car, drove 14 hours to Cleveland, Ohio, straight through. And I, I just begged her. I said, mom, let's get in the shower. Let's get, oh, honey, I'll do it. I'll do it later this afternoon. Come on, mom, I'll help you. Oh, honey, let's do it tomorrow morning. You know, I mean, it just, <clears throat> I think that's that's what affected me the most was seeing her essentially um, 
melt away. It sounds like you took on a role of caretaker in some ways. Like it was a little bit of a role reversal, you know, between mother and daughter. Now daughter had to take care of mom. Yeah. And that is really common for children that have parents with some kind of mental illness. You eventually feel pulled to be a caretaker for them. And that could be really hard for a lot of children that have parents in those conditions. You know, for me, I don't know if it ever really affected me because I feel like we grew up together. So we were always taking care of each other. You know, I remember she had me at 15. So, right. And, you know, I, I'll be driving, you know, I would I'd be like, God, that woman, she makes me so crazy. And sometimes, you know, when she was alive, I'd be like, oh, damn, she's calling. I just, you know, she's not going to say anything that she didn't say yesterday. (laughs) And now today I would just give my right arm just to hear her talk. And, um, and you know, what I did is uh, I saved some of her voicemails and they were so ridiculous. I mean, but I'm so happy that I saved them because then I can go back and listen to them so I can hear her voice. (laughs) Yeah. What's it like to hear her voice? Is it like a happy feeling or a sad feeling for you? Um, You know, what's funny is I'll get annoyed and I'll be like, yeah, that was mom, you know, and then I'll think, oh, she's so cute, you know? (laughs) (laughs) It's a complicated relationship that you guys had. Yeah, I would. I mean, I would love to be able to call her and tell her about my day. Um, you know, so we take people for granted. Yeah. You don't want to take it for granted. I mean, take the good with the bad. I mean, I would drive 14 hours to see her and I did not want to do that, but I, I am so happy I did. I would take her shopping. Um, some days we didn't go anywhere. Some days I would drive and visit her and she wouldn't, she'd sleep the whole time, but I did it knowing maybe she won't. Maybe she'll want to do something and just cherish and do what you can for them. Even if they annoy the hell out of you, just because you're going to miss them one day. So you don't want to regret that. And you know, April, unfortunately, so many people have shame when they love someone with a mental illness Mm -hmm. because of stigmas. um, And we hide this part of our lives. We don't talk about it. It's kind of secret. Um, And the less we communicate, the more the shame grows, the more we feel disconnected. So I am so in love with what you're doing with your podcast, first of all. You know, you're making this more of a conversation. Other people can relate to this because people are only talking about it in the therapy rooms, right? And that's why I wanted to do my podcast is to be like, you know what? It's not just happening in the therapy room. This is happening. It should be happening in everyday life. People have loved ones with mental illness and it affects us and we can talk about it. There shouldn't be a shame associated with it. So I love that you own your story and you own your mom's story. And I love how you started us off with telling us a little bit about her childhood because that really set the stage for understanding who your mom was. You know what I mean? And you can understand who you are now because of where she came from. So I am just so I admire you and your courage to really get that podcast going and start having more conversations around this. Well, thank you. Yeah, I have so much fun doing it. And um, anything, you know, to to keep her uh, 
her energy going, you know, and to, to, to talk about her. And I was always one, you know, I grew up in a, the restaurant business and I grew up in a newsroom and, um, you cuss and you tell everybody your business. And so I was one that always let everybody know about what was going on, you know, but I don't think that's the case for family members. <laughs> it, there is a lot of shit that comes with it. Um, you know, of course, you know, when I didn't have serious boyfriends, I um, didn't want some of them to come pick me up at the house because I didn't want them to meet my mom. You know what I mean? So there is shame and in, in, uh, some days, but then, you know, once you get more comfortable with yourself and, um, and you know, you're not really, you are who you come from, but you're not, you don't have to be or behave like they did, then I think there's a whole different separation in that. And, you know, I just hope a lot of people or teenagers or kids that are, you know, going through this and, you know, coming home to a mom or dad, they, that they are able to detach themselves and know that they're a different human being than they are, um, rather than saying, oh, well, I guess this, this is going to be my path, you know, and so it's just not true. Just not true. It sounds like you were able to differentiate um, from your mom's story, right? And become your own person. Um, You give such good tips. And I'm just curious before we had to wrap up here, besides the support system and the good sense of humor, is there anything else that you think helped you in your journey with loving a mom with mental illness? You know, I did some therapy sessions and I'm not, you know, I, I'm one that would do it and then not do it and then do it and then not do it. And I wasn't consistent with it. If you are doing that, just stay consistent with it, I think would be something that I need to get back on that bandwagon and keep it going. And so that is one thing I plan on doing, but honestly, it's detaching myself, getting away from it sometimes. So you, you can go back to it with a different perspective, because if you stay in it, um, and I don't mean me because some, some like, wait, well, I can't go anywhere. I mean, you know, I'm married to the person or I get that. But what I'm saying is take time for yourself, step away from it, you know, have fun, go to counseling, go to, go to groups. I begged my dad, go to groups, George. And, um, you know, he did once in a while, really wasn't his thing either. But I think he always felt better when he came back. Detach yourself in some way so you can come back to it with a new way of thinking, with new energy and less, um, what's the word, Um, just frustration, resentment, you know, because you start to resent them, less resentment, less hate towards their behaviors um, because it's going to eat you up inside and then you will come become like them. Right. Like <laughs> if, you, yeah. if you don't get, if you don't get rid of the, the mentally, you know, just or the, the challenged, well, you're, you're going to start to fester and you're going to get sick yourself. You don't want that. Then you got two sick people. You got you and, you know, your loved one. And then you're going to take care of yourself. Yeah. Then you're like two miserable pods, you know, peas. <laughs> just, 
<laughs> Two miserable peas in a pod. Two miserable peas in yeah. a pod. Dude, you don't want that. <laughs> no, that's such good advice about detaching because you do need to detach at times. You can't be in it 24-7 and you can't change it. You can't fix it. You have to accept it. Um, and radically accept that this is what's going on and there's nothing you can do personally to change it except support them and support you and have the boundaries around it. And it sounds like that's what you did and that's what was most helpful for you. So this is such wonderful advice. Thank you. Hey there, thank you so much for listening. And if you like this, please subscribe and give it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Also, I've included a link in the show notes to resourceful books on caring for someone with bipolar. Let's build a community. We cannot maneuver this crazy life alone. You can also follow on Instagram at Of Course They Make Me Crazy.